0: This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. My name's Nick Lewis, and I've been a member here at New Community Church from the start in February 1976. Dave and Liz weren't around then. They were off somewhere else doing something else. But I was here one of the few advantages of having been around for so long is that i can testify to the goodness of god not just this year but over many decades god has blessed me my wife family and this church that i've been part of time and time again during those years i've been a recipient of the blessing of god of god's tremendous grace and generosity I'm going to tell you some of those experiences today in the context of this series on the Antioch church. Unfortunately for you, I'll be using lots of examples from my own life and from my perspective. (laughs) Groaning from the front there. (laughs) Some of these examples may paint me in a good light. (laughs) In fact, they're the only ones I'm going to use. But let's be clear (laughs) at the outset. God has done an awful lot in my life over these years and if I do look good it's only because of Jesus and what he's done in my life some stories may take a few moments to tell but are the result of many years of God's patient loving grace and mercy and probably many tears and tantrums on my part that I won't be mentioning (laughs) the other problem I've got Oh, no, come back to that. As I prepared this talk, I became aware of two things. Firstly, how much God has done for me. And secondly, how lacklustre my response has been to his wonderful mercy and grace. I need to train my heart to be more generous. As you can see, I have 24 pages of notes. Unfortunately, my eyesight is not as good as it once was. So please bear with me if I lose my place, even though you can probably read those notes from the front. <laughs> we read in Acts eleven twenty two twenty three. 23, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them. And he remained true to the Lord with all their hearts. I hope that anyone visiting us today would see like Barnabas did what the grace of God had done for us as a church. But I wonder how Barnabas noticed what the grace of God had done. What was it that Barnabas saw that made his heart rejoice? I'm guessing Barnabas turned up to the meeting of the church like you have today. I presume he was greeted by the host team who showed the badges and asked him, just check out the QR code. Have you got your mobile phone? Just go on there and... Do you know anyone here? You're from Jerusalem. Oh, we've got a lot of people from Jerusalem. Come on in, we might know some of them. The first sign that Barnabas saw of the grace of God may well have been at the front entrance. We sometimes underestimate the importance of the welcome you receive when coming into the building. I wonder whether Antioch host team was the first place where Barnabas saw the grace of God at work. We can also underestimate the effect that the before-meeting buzz can have on people. The sense of relationship and visible friendship among the room may have been another hint to Barnabas that God was on the move. The pre-meeting excitement, the buzz of conversation, the clear enjoyment on people's faces meeting each other. And then people were called together to worship, and the name of Jesus was lifted up. Congregation joined in corporate worship. Maybe it's here that Barnabas saw tangible signs of the grace of God. Were there hymns of praise, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretations, stories of healing, songs, interpretations, stories of God's provision, testimonies about the gospel? Maybe the presence of the Holy Spirit in the gathering was when Barnabas saw what the grace of God had done. Acts goes on and says, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them their good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. As James said in his opening preach of the series, another sign of the grace of God must have been the multicultural nature of the church in Antioch. The text clearly indicates that men from Cyprus and Cyrene were talking to the Greeks, Cyrene was a Greek colony, colony in North Africa, 800 miles away. Cyprus is a Mediterranean island, 180 miles away. Most of Greece is 200 miles away. Jerusalem is 200 miles away to Antioch in Turkey. And it was a trading city and a hub for all these areas and probably many other nationalities. The church in Antioch would have reflected this, probably much more so than the church in Jerusalem, which was mainly Jewish. Building genuine friendships across cultural, class, and generational divides is a mark of the grace of God. However, building multicultural, multi-generational church takes considerable grace on all sides. And maybe that was the evidence that Barnabas saw. So they were worshipping, they were multicultural, and they were generous. During this time, in Acts 11, it's 27, 29, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine which spread over the entire Roman world. And This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The text says... The disciples decided to give. This wasn't a leadership edict, you must. This was a response, a heart response from the church members themselves. God's visible grace through spontaneous generosity. How does the grace of God work to produce such spontaneous generosity? I can only tell you how God changed my heart and how Jill and I have fought to maintain a generous heart through these years. You see, I come from a business family where money is highly esteemed, and I'd already started to find my own ways of making money. Way back in 1973, I was attending college in Brighton, studying hotel and catering management. The grand plan was that my father would buy a hotel for me and for his retirement. As students studying catering, we were in demand for our waiting skills, because we could all do waiting. I made contact with a nightclub in Pearlie, just up the road. I did a deal with the manager. I supplied wine waiters on a Friday and Saturday night and beca- paid cash for taking them up there and bringing them back. Each waiter or waitress would be paid and earn tips as well. The waiters got their eight pound. I know it's a lot. Now, <laughs> But back then, they worked from 8 till 12.30, and £8 was the equivalent of £125 in today's day's money. So my buddies at college were earning £250 for a couple of nights' work, and they loved me. I worked as well, so I got my £8 a night, but I also got £100 for taking them there and back. On a good week, therefore, I'm at college, remember, having paid off my instalments for the second-hand van I bought, nice little minibus, uh, paid for the petrol insurance, I was clearing £200 a week. According to the CPI inflation calculator, that's the equivalent of £3,094.66. A week, in my pocket. I was on a full student grant, of course. No college fees. I felt good. Over the summer in 1973, I got saved, and God began the job of cleaning up my mess. When I got saved, I was unaware what it would cost me to make God Lord of my life and allow him to change me to be more like him. I think if I'd really known what it meant, I may have thought a bit harder about it. <laughs> Some things that I now view as worthless appeared to be valuable, to me back then. So I went to church in Brighton and feeling very self-satisfied with the amount of money I had, I found a roll of notes in my pocket, dropped them in the offering, as long as someone could see me. (coughs) So 1 Timothy 6 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I felt God tugging at a root that was embedded in my life, a root that could lead to all kinds of evil. A few years back, we had a wisteria plant in our garden, but it flowered poorly and it was the wrong place. So I cut the wisteria down, dug up the bit of the root I could get to easily, and in the spring next year, I had six wisterias growing in the wrong place. If you're going to do the job properly, you have to dig out the whole route. And God started a work in dealing with the love of money, but starting and finishing are very different. Paul prays, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus and the work had started. At the first meeting of Barnabas Christian Fellowship, which was the name this church had when it was formed, It was was at a demolished building now in Holy Family Hall, which was in Avery Hill Road, opposite the park there. The speaker was John Harris. Do you remember John Harris? Your friend. Uh, He spoke on Isaiah 58. It's hard to pick out only a few verses, so I'm going to read quite a lot. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if there was a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not answered? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rearguard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your name. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. At the first meeting of this church, there was a prophetic call to be doers of the word, not hearers only, to be those that live by the word of God, acting justly, loving mercy, and that the promise of the blessing of God will always follow when we give ourselves generously. Built into the DNA is a call to live for God every moment of the day, not just on Sundays. Verse 2 says, They seem eager for God to come near, and yet the chapter is a rebuke on their lack of godliness because they haven't loosed chains of injustice and shared their food and shelter. In Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Every step we take as a church must be in faith. Fast forward a few years. Have you got a picture? Wow. Hair! Hair! And look, Jill's uh, Jill smiling. Uh, we were... <laughs> it, it was before we were married. <laughs> I was church treasurer and chair of the trustees at the time. Stop laughing. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> we had a miraculously taken out a lease on this building with an option to purchase it in the future. Despite opposition from developers, and we were considering how to refurbish this main building. Got another picture? There we are. The United Reformed Church had stripped out the pews and sold the organ. So we, You can see there, so we were left with an empty shell. The floor was uneven. The walls were unplastered, where the dado and uh, pews had been removed. There was no heating, no lighting, and it was a mess. Initially, we met in the back hall and didn't even have a vision for this building. At one time, we had considered demolishing it to make some more car parking space. But as we grew in numbers, our vision increased, and God prompted us to believe for the refurbishment of this building. So in 1984, we responded to the vision and prepared a contract for a local builder to carry out the work. Contract, 120,000 pounds, was equivalent to about half a million in today's money. We didn't have that money. So we asked the bank to lend it to us with the intention of having offerings during the nine months of the contract to raise the fund church was about 120 strong at the time, many of us recently married with young children. The bank was willing to lend us the money, but they wanted collateral to support the loan. So Jill and I were one of four couples in the church. Effie and Alan were another one of the couples who signed a charge over our property, giving the bank the right to take away our home if the church failed to make the repayments on their loan. For us, supporting the lit vision of the church, we're not just praying and giving, but we put our house on the line. Not everyone was called to put their house on the line, but sometimes supporting the vision requires more than just prayer. We had a special offering, collected a reasonable amount of money, as people gave sacrificially and generously as building work, and we could start. Every month, the architect would value the building work, and I would meet the builders to hand over the cheque. About four months in, builders had a good week, did a lot of work, payment was due on the Friday. Had a trustees meeting on the Wednesday, we got a problem. We had £1,000 in the bank, the valuation was £12,000. We were eleven thousand pounds short. Phoned the elders don't even you know if you remember this, you had <laughs> phoned the elders who were having a leaders' meeting, and we all prayed. Among the leaders that night were a couple who were hoping to move shortly and were waiting to exchange contracts on their new house. On Thursday morning the buying chain fell through, and the solicitors said you can have the money back that you've put aside for that. The couple then offered the money to the church as a loan until they could find a new property. The amount, £11,000. This couple were amongst many of those that God blessed while they were here with us and we've had the privilege to see them go to another church, church plant and go into leadership in other churches. Many times we've given away our leaders. I met with the builders on the Friday at two o'clock as arranged and handed over the cheque to a very grateful contractor. (laughs) Mike Chevro, who was the director, told me his story. He'd had four different contracts due to pay that week. The other three had given him excuses why they couldn't pay. And he was dependent on our payment to meet the wage bill for that week. He'd spoken to the bank manager and told him that we were due to pay And being a church, we wouldn't mess him around, but we would meet our obligation. He trusted us. (laughs) I thanked him for his story and told him my side. (laughs) He went quite pale. (laughs) As I told him, we'd started the project with no money at all. (laughs) But we believed that God would provide us all we needed when we needed it. We had several offerings that year and met every payment due to people giving faithfully over and above what we could have even expected. At the end of the contract, we organised a meal for the contractor, and the builders and their wives were invited to a meal in this building. We set out two long rows of tables, and we sat down and treated them to a meal. At the end of the meal, Mike stood up and said it had been one of his favourite jobs, and he gave us a cheque, I think it was about £2,000, back as thanks. As a whole church, we were blessed by the process of taking the risk to support the vision, praying the money in, and for those of us who put our houses on the line, we were doubly blessed. 1 Timothy 2.13 says, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in the faith in Christ Jesus. Being on the front line serving well in church life lets you see the Holy Spirit in action. And as you see God at work, it increases your faith and provides greater assurance. Faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. This cannot be a once-and-done deal, though. The experience of God's grace to us acts as reminders as long as we're continuing to trust him and stepping out in faith. Just like the Israelites in the desert, had to collect that manna every day. If we stop taking in fresh manna, then the memories of God's past grace just become idols. Yesterday's victories are for our encouragement in the battles we're fighting today. It's just one example of so many that God has met with us as a church over the years. There are many more and more to come. The new challenges will be different God rarely calls us to make the same steps of faith, but always calls us to take steps of faith. Back in 1983, I was self-employed and working unpaid two days a week for the church as chairman of trustees and treasurer and administrator. Hey, (laughs) I wasn't an elder. (laughs) We were trying to move house but we were restricted in the houses available because the mortgage I could get was limited, as I'd only been earning three days a week. We went to view a property in Craybrook Road, up near the high street, that came on the market that morning, made an offer, and it was accepted. Jill went to a weekly women's prayer meeting where Margaret Holland, where are you, Margaret? I can't see you. Wave. (laughs) Margaret. (laughs) Thank you, Margaret. asked how the house hunting was going. Jill said we'd found a house but didn't feel very peaceful about it. It was the house next door to one of the leaders of what is now New Generation Church and Margaret's sister and her husband who were also leaders of the church had been trying to buy that house. We offered to withdraw but the vendor refused to sell it to them. In the end they offered us their house (coughs) which was much more suitable to us and in better condition for the same price that they were going to pay for the house they wanted. Bizarrely, we purchased the house in Craybrook Road and then took advantage of a legal process that's no longer available, and on the same day we completed, we swapped houses for the one in Faraday Avenue. We moved into a house that had been on the market for several thousand pounds more than we could afford. I may have earned less because I'd given up some time for the church. I may not have been able to get a mortgage to afford the house we wanted. But when you trust God, he can and does do miracles. But so often not in the way we expect. It still takes a step of faith. Luke 6 verse 38 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You cannot outgive God. I cannot tell you, because I've got time limits, (laughs) of all the times God has blessed me, blessed us and blessed us, of not having our own car, but having two cars waiting on the driveway for our use while people were on holiday, of holidays being paid for, or money falling through the letterbox, and so much more. When I was unemployed, God, Jill Jill kept, not God, God probably got a notebook. Jill kept a notebook. (laughs) God's got a big notebook, but Jill's got a little one. Jill kept a notebook of the gifts we received. It goes on for page after page. People in this church have blessed us again and again. Trusting in Jesus should bring a life of adventure. We've been in this church for over four decades and are just as excited by what God is doing now and in our lives as we face new challenges, and they're different. Being British, though, we don't often talk about the real practicalities of giving. Money is normally seen as a private affair and not up for discussion. As I said at the start, we, can't, we can only share what God has done for us over these decades, and the principles we have lived by have resulted in God blessing us time and again. So this is how we do The church in Antioch and many, many others, even in this room, may well give much more. I'm sure they give much more and will have their own fantastic stories to tell, but I'm here. (laughs) I thought it might be helpful to say how giving has worked for us over these years. Jill and I have always tithed 10% of our income. Not out of legalism, we've always seen it as a starting point, a minimum, 10%. We've always also considered that our tithe is before tax. <clears throat> now, I know in many cases the church can claim back the tax and the government, but I've always reasoned that the tithe is God's portion and he should get his portion before the tax man. I've also been aware of God's amazing generosity and grace to me. How can I not respond with generosity back to him? Although the book of Malachi is Old Testament, we believe that the biblical principle is that the tithe should go to the storehouse, which we've always interpreted as the church. So our tithe, all 10% of it, before tax, gets paid to the church. Malachi 3 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse I tithe to the church, the storehouse. And then God expects me to be generous and give. So for Jill and I, giving starts once the tithe is paid. The grace of God in generosity goes much further than just money. We have been the recipients of so much grace from people in the church. There's not time again to mention the number of times that God has provided for us while I ran my own business. 30 years, although through recession and good and bad times, working to walk in righteousness while still having to make people redundant or even firing them whilst maintaining a generous heart is a challenge. But God's grace to me in business is for another day if I get asked back. <clears throat> we have some African friends who have shown us so much grace over the years as we have made cultural mistake after mistake. I say, we, to include you all, but it's normally me. <clears throat> Our African friends suffered the loss of a parent, so being British and caring, we sent them a really nice card. found out later that the costs incurred when a re- relative dies back in Africa, and how many people have supported them with monetary gifts. Sometime later, unfortunately, not that long, The other parent died. Now, we're better prepared this time, so we gave a monetary gift inside the nice card. We are British, after all. How much to give? Jill had an idea. I said, no, that's not enough, I like these people. The dynamic of giving as a couple can be quite difficult as you try within your marriage to align to each other's vision. On this occasion, I overruled Jill. And decide on the figure to give. Those of you who are married are already ahead of me on how well this is going to work out. <laughs> the day after we'd given the gift, they phoned us after they'd come over. Sure enough, we'd made another misstep. We'd given way more than would often be given in this situation. You see, we were generous with our finance. But even in receiving the gift, they were generous in the grace of God to help us understand the cultural norms. It was their generous spirit that enabled us to grow in understanding and deepen our friendship. When you can work out those cultural faux pas, then your relationship is deepened. Romans 9 says, love must be sincere. It may be that when Barnabas came into the Antioch church had built that has been built on sincere love. He saw that, that relationships have been built across cultural divides with deep relationships, loving relationships. That's when he could recognise the, the grace of God at work. We need to be a generous people. Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I don't think I, don't, I didn't want to read that because it's bad news for me. Um, bear with each other, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We need to be a generous people with our money and to clothe ourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness and patience and still bear with one another and forgiven each other. I've asked Jill to share a few things.
1: Hi, it's great, to- it's great to be with you this morning. In fact, Nick, I'm sorry, I'm going to start in a slightly different place to have where I'm supposed to be starting because there was some important things that he actually did miss out <laughs> so I don't think it was deliberate so he, let's go back a bit to the beginning where God was digging this root out on um, to do with money and Nick dropping this roll of what was probably about £100 into the offering and God dealing with this root in his life but what he didn't say was that he found himself in church one Sunday absolutely broke down in Brighton, and it was at this point that a little old lady came over to him, holding a jar of jam. She said, you students are always hungry, and gave him the jar of jam, and attached to it with an elastic band was a five-pound note. God taught him in that moment about the parable from Luke 21 of the widow's offering, the rich giving from their abundance and the the widow giving from her poverty. And it's important to conclude that story because, as Nick said, it was a work in progress. But how amazing is God when, you know, we think we're doing an amazing thing and God deals with the root and then along comes this little old lady... And the other reason I mention it is because I mentioned her later on, and I thought, I can't do this without explaining that. Anyway, I don't know about you, but I love being part of a church whose foundations are based and grounded in the book of Acts, a church that loves to give generously, whether that be with finance or giving people away to plant new churches. That's why... The Redigging of the World series, and now looking again at what it means to be an Antioch church, is so important. It's about being a church that at its heart has the Word, Spirit, and prayer, and we need it all. Is it challenging? Yes. Do we make mistakes? Oh, yes, we do. But we learn to be gracious, kind, forgiving, and full of grace which we ourselves have received so abundantly from Jesus. We're absolutely a work in progress, aren't we? Nick has shared some stories from our church history and some of our personal stories. Have I enjoyed all the things we've gone through? The honest answer is no. Would I change them at the time? Probably yes, but now I'd probably say no. God has an amazing way of enriching and empowering us through the challenges and difficulties we encounter on this amazing journey with Christ. Do we do this journey alone? We always have a choice. Nick and I have learnt over the years to walk this walk with Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, but also alongside the local body of Christ here at New Community Church, which is where we feel called to be. I've always loved local community, my neighbours, but I've also loved having Christian friends living close by, and it has been such a blessing. In Acts 2, verses 44 to 46, it says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In the mid-1980s, a lovely Christian family came to this church and moved a few doors away from us. Before we had even met them, they had fostered over 36 children. They had two biological children, and during the time they lived near us, They adopted four more children. We became good friends. And I learnt so much from them. And yet they still gave more. There was always room around their table for us and others. There was always room for one more. One day, my friend and I were having coffee at her house and we were chatting about life in general. She told me she'd just received a small inheritance. And I asked her what she was planning to do with the money she'd just received. First off, she said, I'm going to do something with my two front teeth. She, like me, had a gap in her, t- her front teeth, I have to say, larger than mine. <laughs> and then she said to me, what would you do if you had some extra money? Nick and I had always wanted to have a giving account a place where we could give from when we saw a need. But after tithing, and with four children to feed and clothe and a small business to run, there was often nothing left for any extras. A few days later, the same friend popped over to my house for coffee and gave me a cheque for £200 to start our giving account. And even as I recount that, you can hear I feel choked up because it was just such a blessing... Out of her abundance, she enabled us to give in a way we had wanted to do so for so long. We opened a building society account, which gained gained regular interest, and we added to it as and when we were able. But it was wonderful to be able to give at times when we ourselves were financially stretched. Her generosity enabled us to be generous too. You may not be aware, but here at New Community Church, we have an account called the Fellowship Fund. It is a wonderful way to give to others who you feel God wants you to bless or to meet a need. And we have often been able to bless others anonymously through this fund. In Matthew 6, verse 3, it says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And if you want more information about the Fellowship Fund, then just go to newcom.church forward slash and I'd thoroughly recommend that you do that. Some of this is about learning to listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings. It may be giving a gift of money or sending a card with encouraging words to someone, cooking a meal, or just spending time listening to somebody there are so many ways in which we can be generous. Another way is hospitality, and that covers all sorts of areas. But for many years, we have had the privilege of sharing our home with other people. It has meant we have been able to earn, or earn, get some extra cash and much-needed money, but we've always tried to ensure that we charged them less than they would have paid elsewhere. It was beneficial to all, but it was much more than that. They became our friends and part of our family. We learnt many things from opening up and sharing our home in this way. Sometimes it wasn't easy, but most of the time it was great and our whole family benefited from it, although you might need to ask Ben about that. Being a generous church like the Antioch Church is not just about giving money. It's about giving time, effort, serving one another and the wider community, or even into the nations. It's not an either-or situation. So often we think it's just too difficult. Um, uh, We just think it's too difficult. But we mustn't decry or belittle the small things. God sees it all and the heart with which it is given. Which is why I'm reminded again of the old lady who gave the jar of jam with the five-pound note wrapped around it to Nick. It may have been a small amount, but it was given with a big heart, and God sees that.
0: And it broke me. (laughs) did me no good at all. (laughs) Tim Keller says in his book, Generous Justice... There's a direct relationship between a person's grasp and experience of God's grace and his or her heart for justice and the poor. The starting point for our generosity is the grace of God to us. When I consider all that God has done for me, it's a privilege to give anything I can. Where should we give? The terrible earthquake in Turkey and Syria, the war in Ukraine, big issue sellers on the high street, children in need, international justice meeting, supporting children through compassion, local churches, national churches, international charities, which, with all the bad news coming to us so often from around the world, it's easy to suffer from charity fatigue and do nothing. We're not immune to the cries of the world and we cannot, but we cannot give to every need we see or hear about in the news. The constant barrage of bad news and requests for donations can actually harden our hearts. This story about the Antioch church, though, tells us about the prophetic word that led to the generous gift giving, being given back to Judea, Judea. We need to be responsive to the Holy Spirit listen to him and that will be different for each one of us jill's mum was diabetic so for us an annual gift to diabetes uk is in honor of jill's mum jill's dad gave annually to St mungo's homeless charity and we've continued to give to them as an annual gift i've not mentioned my parents at all Uh, micah (laughs) with fix says he has shown you what is good And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. At the end of the day, our calling is to have a generous heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you to act justly, love mercy. Listen to the Holy Spirit and be generous. I just want to end by praying for us. Lord, today we recognize the overwhelming generosity of your mercy and grace. It is not possible for us to outgive you because we've received so much. I pray now that your Holy Spirit remove again amongst us, loosen the chains that bind our wallets, loosen us to to help us to dig out that root of the love of money, to take away our reliance on money and become a more generous people. Generous with our time, generous with our patience and kindness, and above all, overflowing with generosity with our money. Lord, we want this for our church, ourselves, and our children, that anyone coming into contact with us might know the blessing of God through God's generous people. Amen.